Well, that uh, is the Kaufman family circle, and we had a chance to visit their circle. Uh, our, our small groups, we call them family circles around here because we look at everything through the lens of, of, of the family of God, right? And so we call them family circles, and that's the Kaufmans. Uh, man, there is so much stuff going on there in that group. Too much. I wish I could share some of the details, but man, great things are happening at that circle. Um, and we've got, I think we were up to like 20 circles. We have a whole lot uh, of circles. God's moving powerfully in each of these uh, family circles, but uh, we've also got a new one starting this week, the, the uh, All Things Old and New group. Yes, and basically what that, that's, that's a uh, biblical foundations. It's more than that, but if you really want to go deeper in the word and also learn some of the fundamentals of the faith, that would be a great group for you. So you can see Sue, uh, she's leading that group, see Sue afterwards as she'll be at the info table. But you know, we're serious about family. We're serious about relationships. We're a family of God, authentically living out the mission of God. That's, the, that's our core values. We're family, we're authentic, and we're on mission, right? And the way that this is lived out is, is through relationship. And uh, we thought of no better way to end this, this series that we're in, Faith Without Limits, you know, to, than to talk about relationships. Uh, have you guys enjoyed this, this, this series so far? It's been a good series. God's been moving. Some really cool things God's been up to, but uh, we just don't want to limit God. You know, so often we just settle for uh, a version of God. But if you look at, if you read the Bible, you see that Jesus was anything but normal. He was anything but ordinary. He was anything but, but boring. I mean, he was, he was outside the box. And so we, like Jesus, want to live the life that he has for us outside the box. And so how do we live beyond the box relationships? How do we live out these relationships the way God's intended us? Not settling, but how do we live out through relationship, the, the lives that God's called us to live. Well, you'd be interesting to know the Bible ranks healthy relationships as the most important thing in life. Did you know that? In fact, a religious expert asked Jesus in Matthew 22, he said, what's the greatest commandment? To which Jesus responded, love God. And he said, oh, in case you need a second one, it's love people. Love God and love people. And it's interesting, there's, a, there's a, a connectivity between the two, and there's also a priority within the two. That is, your horizontal relationships, the relationships in this life will never be right if we don't have the vertical relationship right. We gotta love God and love people. But if we cut God out of the mix, those people relationships aren't going to be what God intends them to be. But, you know, you think of Jesus' mission to earth. He leaves John 1, 14, right? He leaves heaven, abandons heaven to come down here. Like no other religion, study the world religions, no other religion would do that, right? The deity never comes down to the people. It's always an attempt by the people to reach up to the deity. But God said, oh, no, I'm going beyond the box on this one. I'm coming down to y'all. And he said, y'all are messy, by the way. And we say, we know, God, we're working on it. We need your help. Thanks for coming. See, it's all about relationship. You read this book, this book is all about relationship. But if we're honest, we'd probably admit that relationships are difficult, right? It's something so important and yet so difficult, so elusive sometimes. Uh, a while back, me and my wife, we, uh, <clears throat> we went out with a couple and the couple had referenced the date. They said something about 1995. So my, my wife looks at me really quick. She says, sweetheart, 
you know what happened in 1995, right? I quickly looked back and I said, yeah, that's the year my F-350 turbo diesel was born. I had a nice, nice turbo diesel, big dually. I mean, it'd be eight foot bed, king cab. I mean, it was awesome. I thought, man, I got a great wife. She remembered that. She said, no, sweetheart. That's when we got married, 1995, right? Whoops. But relationships are hard. I mean, we mess up. We're not perfect. Sometimes we, th- we don't think alike. And on a personal level, maybe we'd be willing to admit, like if, by the way, we're, we're real here. This is a safe place. You don't have to act like y'all got it all together. We, we, we serve a God who's got it all together, right? And he's patient. He's loving. He waits on us. But, but we sometimes, in our humanity, we don't have it all together. And maybe you'd admit tonight that, man, your, uh, your home feels more like a battlefield. Maybe there's tension uh, between you and your spouse. Maybe there's tension with your kids. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm just kind of coexisting under the same roof. And, you know, and then churches, Maybe we'd admit that we've been to, to churches, and maybe even this church at times. You come into church, and maybe someone's mean to you. Maybe someone slanders you. Maybe someone gossips about you. And then what do you do? You take your Bible or your iPad, and you walk out. That's the disgruntled Christian walk. You walk out, and you go to the next church, only to find the same thing waiting for you. All right? We're not very good at relationships. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, when Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Isn't that true? Like, relationship is supposed to be like this vehicle, right? This sweet fragrance by which the world says, oh, they got something special. He actually loves his wife. He actually treats his wife with reverence and respect. And she treats him the same way. You know, the the, the church, they they love me. They welcome me. They welcome me in my mess. But unfortunately, so often, instead of being a great witness, our relationships are used to be a great deterrent. But there's a fix. And the fix is found in God's word. And essentially, it's found in two words. Grace and love. Love. Grace and love. See, grace and love are relationship tools given by God that create movement in our relationships. Maybe you feel like your relationship, you're just stuck. You're like, you're sputtering or you're stalled out. And you're like, God, I need some help. I need some some movement in my relationship with a loved one, with a spouse, with a family member, with a child. And God says, I've given you some great tools. It's called grace and love. And through grace and love, you have the power to heal, to mend, to avoid unneeded hurt, to maintain unity, and to breathe breathe life into one another. Grace and love. Here's the big idea. Grace and love move the comma. What? Is that grace and love move the comma? Yeah, grace and love move the comma. You know what? You're going to have to work for it today. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. See, we give you too much stuff up front for free. You're going to have to work for this one, okay? By the end of the message, you'll understand. Grace and love move the comma. Look at Colossians 3. If you've got your Bible, look at Colossians 3. If you don't, we've got the verses on the screen for you. It's Colossians 3. We're going to find out how to live in grace and love. Because if we want to have a beyond-the-box relationship, we've got to live in grace and love. Ain't easy to do, folks. But the church in Colossae, they, uh, here's what was going on. Was, Colossae was a small town about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. 
Now, it's interesting to note, this church wasn't planted by the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul never visited this church. You know how this church was planted? Because of the church plant he planted in Ephesus and because the believers got off their blessed assurances and went out and witnessed. Yeah, they started witnessing. And through that, this church was planted. So things were going great until false doctrine was started being preached. So that's why we're real careful around here with, with what we say. We want to make sure everything we say comes from this. If it comes from this, we're in trouble. If it comes from this, we're just fine. And so this false doctrine led to a bunch of division in the church. And so Paul's addressing this. In verse 12, he writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord, I just thank you. As we get into your word tonight, that you reveal some new truth to us, and Lord, let it sink into our, our, our heads, God, and let it, you know, take that journey down to our hearts so that we can live it out. We want to live beyond the box like you lived, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, beyond the box relationships, put on, listen to me, grace clothes. Beyond the box relationships, put on grace clothes. Look again in, in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with the grace clothes known as compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Yeah, underneath the, the umbrella of grace clothes are those five articles of clothing. February 1st, 2004, Reliance Stadium in Houston, Texas. Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake were putting on a halftime show when all of a sudden a wardrobe malfunction occurred. We have a picture, but we are not showing you the actual malfunction, thank God. But a, a malfunction occurred. And, and by the way, on a side note, the New England Patriots defeated the Carolina Panthers 32-29. <laughs> It's like we forgot there was an actual game. You know, we're so enthralled by this, this alleged wardrobe malfunction. Why do I bring that up? Well, Paul's pointing out that Christians also suffer from wardrobe malfunctions. Sometimes we forget to put on the grace clothes. And I can prove it. A good friend of mine had a son who was raised in the church. And um, this son, like many kids do, they, he got a little older and he kind of fell away from God and was kind of struggling in his faith for a while. Hadn't been to church in a while. And finally, through a lot of prayer, this young man would come back to church for the first time. And he, he walks into his church where he grew up. He walks in and he's greeted by a pastor who shakes his hand and says, Wow. You smell like the Marlboro man. That, my friends, is a wardrobe malfunction. A wardrobe gone terribly wrong. God, I pray that when people walk in this, if we have people who, who look different, who act different, who think different, and who are struggling in their faith, I pray that if a homosexual walks in, they feel welcome. Amen is right. And now listen, we're going to teach the word of God. 
and we're going to help people get out of the sin. Amen, amen, amen. But we are going to love them. We're going to meet them where they're at. We're going to put our arm around them. We're not going to call them the Marlboro man. We're going to call them a son or daughter of the most high God. You see, Paul, Paul deals with this in, in verse 8 and 9. He actually talks about grave clothes. Uh, he, essentially, is what he sums them up as. Anger, rage, malice, filthy language, lying. He talks about that in verses 8 and 9. He says, that's the way you used to be. You used to do all that. You used to wear those clothes, the grave clothes. But when we're new in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Time to put on a new wardrobe. So if you ain't wearing it, put it on. What am I talking about? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Those are hard, okay? Part of being real is admitting that that's hard to do. And I'm, I'm gonna go first. I'm not good at all that stuff. Like I'm working on that. Compassion, compassion. To, to, the problem with compassion and the challenge with compassion is that we see everything through our lens, right? We see things, uh, other people's situations through our lens and what we do is we impose our experience and we impose our evaluation into, we, we haven't walked in their shoes. And God, God dealt with my heart on that back in 2010. We were, we were uh, my family and I, we, we served Christmas morning back at a place in California. We served the homeless. And this guy walked up to me, and I thought to myself as he walked up, he's going to ask me for money. He's going to ask me for money, and he, what does he want? He wants to go get drugs or alcohol. That's what I thought. He comes up. He didn't ask me for money. His name is Eagle. Levi, you in here? You remember, you remember Eagle, right? Do you remember what Eagle asked for? You don't? He asked for pliers. He asked for a needle nose pliers. Why? Because he had a tooth that was infected and he, want, he couldn't eat anything and so he wanted to pull his tooth out with a needle nose pliers. My heart sank. I, I thought to myself, wow, God, Sorry. Sorry that I break your heart by judging this guy. He didn't want drugs. He didn't want alcohol. He wanted needle-nose pliers. God, give us the eyes to see people as you see them. Help us have compassion. Kindness is another one. Kindness. It's easy to give kindness to people if they're kind to us. But what about if they're a jerk? It's hard to love a jerk, right? Just ask my wife. Oh, I think she's in here somewhere too. <laughs> but we can all be jerks. We can love Jesus and still be a jerk. We just forget to put on the grace clothes, right? Jesus said, love your enemy. It takes so much courage to face your enemy, but even more to be kind to those who hurt you. Whew. Right? It's hard to be kind to someone who has inflicted pain, whether intentionally or unintentionally on you. God dealt with me. Whenever you preach something throughout the week, he's going to take little jabs at you, right? You know what I'm talking about. So uh, I, literally today, 11 o'clock a.m., I go to Subway for my pregame meal, you know? Because <laughs> I want to be like Jared. I want to eat healthy, right? So I go into Subway, and, and, and as I, there's one spot left. And this jack wagon parked this way with the back of his car hanging out. And so I just, I had to, you know, just, I, I got in there without hitting his car, but I was probably not being very kind, to be honest with you, what I was thinking about this guy, right? I'm I'm be honest. And so I go and I order my food. I come back out, and there he is 
with the windows down, he's out, he wasn't in the car at this time when I went in, but he, on the way out, he was there. And he, had, he was talking on the phone, had the windows down. I walk by him, and I go to put the, the food in the backseat of the car. And I hear him say, well, I, I just don't have any money. I lost my job. <laughs> I think, God, oh, you know I'm talking about kindness tonight. <laughs> and I remember that I had a, a gift card, actually a $50 gift card that I was going to give to someone here at church tonight. Sorry, you ain't going to get it. <laughs> Probably should have picked up another one. But, but so, so I, I, I wait till he finishes the call. And I says, excuse me, sir, I, I was listening. I heard that you, uh, you lost your job. He's like, yeah. And I said, hey, I'm a pastor in town. He goes, oh, God. Literally. <laughs> oh, God. That's a, I mean, we could preach on that all night. That's a problem. That's how we're known. Oh, God. Like, we got to change some stuff, man, and learn how to love people. So when you say you're a pastor, you don't feel like you have to apologize, you know? He's like, oh, God. And, and then, so right away, I said, oh, no, no, sir, sir, sir. I don't want anything from you. I said, I just heard you lost your job, and uh, I'm a, we have a church down the street. We, we just want to bless you. We are a generous church. We're a loving church, and we just want to bless you. We don't want anything from you. We're not asking you to come to church. We're not asking you to, to accept Christ. We just want to love you. And I gave him this, and if his face went from, oh, God, to, oh, God. You're real, Right? Uh, the whole disposition just changed. His name is Peter, and I told him we're going to pray for him. So make sure you pray for a guy named Peter. He's struggling, doesn't have a job. But like a little, little small act of kindness, it just changed this guy's disposition. Humility. There's another one. Humility. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Right? It's like just... We just need to think about ourselves just a little bit less. Elevate someone else. You ever been around someone, you, t you tell them a story, and, and, and your story becomes their story? Like you just became the, the main character, they became the main character in your story. Like you're telling them, and, and everything is about them. Hey, man, I went and I, I got, I was looking at this car. That, oh, that reminds me of what it did. I got a new car the other day, too. It's like hijacked. Like we need to, if we're going to have beyond-the-box relationships, part of putting on the gray's clothes is being humble and saying, you know what? John, shut your mouth. Listen to others. Listen to what they have to say. Prioritize the, the, their story over your own. Humility. Gentleness. There's one that a lot of us men probably struggle with. I was just telling my, my man, Kenny. He's awesome. He, if, you, if, you, if you struggle with gentleness, talk to Kenny. Kenny, Kenny is, uh, has a gentle spirit. But be, make no mistake, gentleness is, is not weakness. Okay? Gentleness is not weakness. It's power under control. Yeah. Gentleness is power under control. In fact, check this out. The word used in the Bible for gentleness is used uh, three other places. Uh, it's used to describe a gentle wind. It's used to describe a soothing medicine. And it's used to describe a colt being broken. Now, what do those things have in common? I'll tell you. They all have power. Uh, a gentle wind can turn into a raging storm. Medicine, if not used correctly, can kill. A cult, if not harnessed, the power from a cult, not, not broken properly, not harnessed properly, it can be deadly. But power under control is gentleness. We can be a huge weapon for God's kingdom. We can love people. We can have great relationships if 
we learn to control the power that God has given us, gentleness. And lastly, patience. Patience, that's probably, that and humility would be the the two I struggle with most. (coughs) Excuse me. Patience. We live in an impatient world. We have everything quick. We want everything now. And we get it, right? But you know, I was thinking this week, as I was thinking and praying through this message, you know, in the state of California, uh, they have a, um, a 10-day mandatory waiting period when you buy a firearm. Now, I'm a Second Amendment guy, so I'm not advocating for a bunch of gun laws, but I, I, just, I want you to think about this comparison for a second. It, it, they make you wait 10 days, and the thought behind that, at least what they say the thought is, is that you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're angry and you want to go commit a crime with a weapon or take revenge... You have to wait and simmer down for 10 days. What if we applied that same logic to our relationships? If we had a waiting period before we responded. You see, the Bible calls the tongue a fire, a world of evil, James 3.6, or a piercing sword in Psalm 12. I mean, the, the, the tongue can be deadly. It turns out that, that bullets come in many forms. Not just through a gun, but perhaps through an email or a text that you fire off. Perhaps a, uh, a very angry response to a spouse or maybe a letter you mail, you put in the mail. You see, we can hurt people. We can wound people with our lack of patience. If we would just wait before we respond. And the thing about a bullet, and any gun owner knows this, once the bullet leaves the end of the barrel, you don't have control of where that goes and who that hits or harms or even kills. A slip of the foot, you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue, you may never get over. Patience. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 14, he said, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Friends, we've got to put on the grace clothes. Number two, beyond the box relationships, go the distance. Look at, look at verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Newsflash, relationships are work. If you've been married for more than two weeks, say amen. (laughs) It's tough. It takes intentionality. It takes perseverance. It takes work. And it baffles me when people get married and six months later, they're like, we got divorced. We had a fight and I don't like, I'm like, like, who didn't tell them? Did you all not go to like some sort of Premarital counseling, where I said, this is going to be like the toughest thing you ever do in your life, buddy. Like, it's tough. It takes work. And, and, and not just marriage, but relationships, friendships. They're tough. And what, what Paul's saying is we've got to bear with each other. Why? Because we have bad days. Because we, too, have wardrobe malfunctions. And here's the thing. So do others. And every relationship is made up of at least one other party. That's why it's a relationship. You can't control their actions. You can't control their decisions. You can't control their words. And so sometimes you may get it right and they may get it wrong. And what do you got to do? 
bear with. I got to bear with this jack wagon? Yep. That's what the Bible says. Bear with the jack wagon. It's right there. Okay, so I added a word. But I think if Jesus was here today, he'd probably say jack wagon. Bear with each other because we can be pieces of work. And sometimes what happens is, is, is in the midst of relationship, someone lashes out at you, right? Out of nowhere, you're like, everything's fine, and someone, whop, and you're like, whoa, verbal projectile. You're like, what just happened? I, I want to give you just a couple thoughts to consider. Very practical today, today in the message. Facts about lashing out. Number one, the greatest hurt comes from the people we love most, the people that are closest to us, Right? The enemy knows where to hit. He knows how to hurt. He knows how to wound. He knows our weakness. And it comes through people we love the most. It's always an inside job. Number two, lashing out evidence, evidence is a lack of verticality. What do I mean by that? What I mean is if someone lashes out at you, there's a good chance they, are, they don't have a very close walk with the Lord. Now be careful. Because if you lashed out of someone, that says the same about you and me, right? But if they have a close walk with Jesus, they run to Jesus. Because Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So if we love Jesus and we have a great vertical relationship, you see how that affects the horizontal? Because instead of projecting on others, our heart wound, what do we do? We run to Jesus. Let me, let me tell you something. There are conversations that I've had with Jesus that no one will ever know about. Now, I love my wife. She's my best friend, close as can be. But there are some things that I have told Jesus that I have not told her and never will. There are some things that are between God and I. You've got to have this right to have this right. And, and uh, thirdly, what's communicated is often not the real issue. You see, the, the closer we get to God, the more we can look past the eyes. We can look past the hurtful words and we can peer into their soul, into their heart and see that, oh my goodness, what's coming out, the, the verbal lashing that I'm taking is really not the issue. The issue is something that lay deep beneath the surface. It might be something that happened 20 years ago. You remi may remind someone of a person that hurt them. It may be insecurities. It may be a former wound. It may be a memory What's our response to that lashing? Bear with. Don't quit. Dig in. Stay the course. Work it out. How many people have been married for more than 30 years? Raise your hand. How about 40 years? How about 50 years? Anybody 50? Talk to them. Yeah, buddy. Now, I've been 23, so I, I'm, you know, I got a long way to go, but you want, you want some advice? Talk to them, because to be married for 50 years, you got to bear with each other. They're living that out. They're putting on the grace clothes. I can promise you that much. Romans 12, 18, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some things we can't control, but some things we can. And that which we can control, what do we do? We control, right? We love. We extend grace. We put on the grace clothes and we bear with. And sometimes it's a grind. Sometimes you don't want to do that, but we just got to do it. Ain't no secret. Ain't no profound methodology. You just do it. Just bear with.
But bearing with means, as Paul points out in verse 13, it means forgiving. It's the Christian F word. It's true. It's, it's a word that in church we don't like to talk about. Or if we talk about it, it's for somebody else. I mean, he needs to forgive. In fact, he needs to forgive me. Wow. Sounds like you need to forgive him. Right? We don't like to talk about it. And if we do, it's for someone else. What if that's for you today? What if that's for me today? You see, Roger Scruton said this. He said, those who confess sacrifice their pride, while those who forgive sacrifice their resentment. Well, isn't that good? Think about that for a second. I can confess, he hurt me. He hurt me. Well, yep, congratulations. You confess that. You sacrifice a, a wee bit of your pride, but you still resent him. To forgive is to say, I release you. You're free. And quite frankly, now you're free from that resentment. And ooh, what a feeling that is to be set free from that. It's like a, a, a joy in your heart. It's an overwhelming joy. Leonardo da Vinci, um, you might not know this, but uh, as he began work on the famous painting, The Last Supper, he, uh, right before he had a quarrel with a, uh, a fellow painter. And da Vinci was so angry, so enraged, that he actually exacted his revenge by painting this guy's face on the face of Judas, the traitor. Yeah, Judas is, uh, I, think he's, uh, I think he's like a fourth, fourth in from the left, okay? And, uh, and, and think about that. I mean, if you're going to exact revenge, hey, man, what a great way to do it. I mean, succeeding generations for time and time to come will see that guy's face. And his contemporaries noticed it. They're like, oh, that's the painter. We know him. So then he goes to paint, to finish the work, to paint the, the face of Jesus. But he couldn't. Something happened. Something was wrong. It's like there was a block. He was hindered. And finally, he came to the conclusion that it was his bitterness for his enemy that was debilitating him. And so he would go on and repaint the face of Judas on the face of Judas and then go on to complete this masterpiece that we love today, the Last Supper. Here's the point. We cannot paint the face of Jesus into our life when our canvas is stained with the face of someone we have yet to forgive. What's on the canvas of your heart today? What's on the canvas of my heart? Is there a face that God's saying, erase? That face needs to be erased so that I can dwell on that painting and so that you can have the relationship that you were destined to have. Beyond the box relationships go the distance, and part of that is forgiveness. And lastly, beyond the box relationships are covered in love. Covered in love. Verse 14 Paul, Paul writes, and over all these virtues, over all the virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So all those things, they're so important, he says, but it's all connected with love. 
You didn't think I didn't, didn't have an illustration for you today, did you? Y'all know me. As I study the work, I'm a simple man and God puts these crazy stuff on my mind so I just got to roll with it, okay? But it's like a cupcake. A cupcake ain't a cupcake without frosting, okay? And I'm not talking about all you health people. Like a cupcake ain't, if I'm, gonna go, if I'm going down, I'm going down swinging, okay? <laughs> and a relationship isn't a relationship without love. Love covers everything. Love binds everything together, much like this beautiful vanilla, super creamy Pillsbury frosting. Oh, yeah. Oh. On top of this, I can't remember what they're called. Red, red velvet. Red velvet. Thank you. Red velvet. Oh. Now, you know what's funny about frosting in love? This is love, right? When I was younger, I used to think I knew what love was, right? But, so you know what I'm talking about. Like, as you grow and we as mature in Christ, our capacity to love grows. And I, I don't know if that's because, you know, we just get closer to being with Jesus, you know? Like, I don't know exactly why that happens. But, like, I used to think I loved my wife, and I did. But let me tell you something. The way I love her today is totally different than the way I loved her back then. You see, our capacity to love grows. And so, uh, so, uh, we, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no half-stepping here. I'm talking like, I want to be, I want to be a son of God. I want my relationships to be smothered up in this bad boy. I mean, I want, I want, you know, to, to God to, to look at this little cupcake and say, hmm, he's got the grace clothes on, but boy, he's sure got a lot of love. I mean, that's, you know, let's be disproportional. If we're going to be disproportional, Let's be disproportional in the love category, right? I mean, I don't know how much this thing will hold, but... Uh, I mean, like... Uh, I mean, when people see the gathering... I want... Uh, maybe we should have made our... Em yeah, we should have made our emblem a cupcake. We'd have to explain it, but wh wh why do y'all have a, a cupcake on you with all that frosting dripping off? Oh, let me grab some coffee. I'll tell you about it. Man, I want God to see love just smothered. Oh, you thought I was done? No, because you're gonna, you're gonna. What, what did Pastor John talk about this week? I don't know, but I remember a cupcake. That's how you all are. That's why we have to do these illustrations because you forget. God said you're peculiar people. All right, now, now that I want God to see like that. Oh no, you said do it. <laughs> Eat it, eat it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Hang on. That's... Does anybody want to eat it? Oh, man. Oh, you want to eat it. Oh, I, got, I almost thought I got to see that. Uh, one bite. Come on, come on. One bite. You got to see it. You want it? You want it? Melissa? Just one bite, just one bite, because I don't want I don't want you getting sick up here or anything. Just take one good bite of that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Ah. Oh man, that was actually really good. Um, 
typically don't eat your illustrations, but that's good. But like, and, and the thing is, <laughs> you have the residue of love on your face, brother. When, 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 when people bite in, you know, to, to, to the, the DNA of the gathering, man, I, I just hope that it tastes like love. Like, I hope it's sweet and, and, and good, to the, good to the taste and that people, you know, they say, man, there's something there. And if something means love, we're in a good spot because Jesus said, man, they will know, will know your disciples by the way you love each other, right? I mean, it comes down to love. I mean, if we get that right, we can mess up a lot of stuff. And we do mess up a lot of, this ain't a perfect, if you're looking for the perfect church and you're here for the first time, we're gonna let you down. I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. I do like cupcakes, but I'm not perfect. And neither are you. But if we get love right, there'll be something that will sustain us. It covers all. Alexander III was the czar of Russia from 1881 to 1894. His rule was marked by repression and in particular the persecution of the Jews. His wife, Maria Federnova, provided a stark contrast from her husband, being known as a person who was generous. On one occasion, her husband signed a, uh, an order consigning a prisoner to life in exile. And it read, pardon impossible to be sent to Siberia. Maria changed that prisoner's life by simply moving the comma in her husband's order. She altered it to read, pardon impossible to be sent to Siberia. Whew. Whew. May we, may we, all of us, as messed up and as imperfect as we are, may we display this grace and love. The grace and love that, by the way, Christ showed for us. Christ bought us with that same grace and love. And he moved the comma that stood against us. All the failures, all the mess-ups, all the things that I'm too embarrassed to tell you about that I did, gone. Why? Because his grace because his love moved the comma that stood against me and he moved the comma that stood against you. And you know what he's telling us today? He's saying, let's get off our butts and go move the comma that stands against someone else. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's just going and extending grace. Maybe it's just saying, you know what, I love you. Maybe it's having compassion on someone, trying to see things through their eyes and through their shoes. Like, I don't know what it is for you, but the big idea is this. Grace and love move the comma. And I pray the Holy Spirit is just tugging at your soul right now. Just speaking to you in a way that I, some guy can't. I'm, I'm limited in my capacity, but he ain't. He can speak directly to your soul. And perhaps maybe some of you already know the person you need to do business with, the person you need to talk to. Move that comma. We're gonna have some family time as we close. Family time is, is, uh, is when we bring the, the pastoral partners up and I'll be up here. We, uh, we're gonna worship another song or two. Please don't leave unless you have to. If you have to go, we're not gonna be legalistic, but, but we're family. We wanna worship together. We wanna pray together. It's not gonna take long, but we wanna invite you to respond as God may lead you. For some, you may be standing right where you're at. Maybe sitting where you're at, might be kneeling. For others, it might be coming forward and receiving prayer for a relationship that's struggling, for a loved one who's hurting. For some people, it might be healing. You may need to pray that God would heal you, will anoint you with oil like it says in James 5. 
For others, maybe you just want to come down and worship. Maybe you want to kneel and just worship. But we're a family, man. You're safe to do this. And don't you dare email me tomorrow and say, God was calling me to come up, but I didn't do it. It happens every week, every time we do this. Don't do that. If you come up here and you receive prayer and people think something about you, good. Let them think whatever they want. This is about you and God, what God's doing in your heart. Love God enough to respond as he leads you. I don't care what people think. You, when you get to the end of yourself, you get past your pride and you care more about what he thinks than people thinks, you're in a good place. And so as the Lord leads, come, receive prayer. Come and kneel and worship. And if he leads you to stay, stay right there. You're free in that. But let's spend some time together as a family and watch God do what God can only do. Amen.